0: Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for
1: joining us for ASHP's Practice Journeys podcast. This podcast invites members to share their stories about their professional path, lessons learned, and how their experiences shaped who and where they are today. My name is on your Anurimba. And I'm Jessica Khan. And today we'll be chatting with Calvin Ice, a clinical pharmacy services supervisor and a PGY-1 residency program director at Spectrum Health in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Megan Musselman, a PGY-2 emergency medicine pharmacy residency program director at North Kansas City Hospital about residency program director perspectives on best fit residencies. We often hear about these perspectives of applicants, but not often
2: from those receiving and reviewing the applications. Thanks for joining us today. All right, so to start us off, tell us each a little bit about yourself and your current position.
0: Hi, everybody. My name is Calvin Ice. I completed my PGY-1 and PGY-2 residency training in critical care at Mayo Clinic, and then I've been at Spectrum Health in Grand Rapids, Michigan for the past seven years. I originally started as a clinical specialist for surgery and anesthesia, practicing in the trauma ICU, and about three and a half years ago, transitioned to a clinical supervisor role. And in this role, I am our PGY-1 Residency Program Director. I help to coordinate a longitudinal program, APPE program with Ferris State University at our site, and then I also oversee our longitudinal pharmacy interns. In addition to that, in my role, I work on a lot of different clinical initiatives with our team, clinical standardization and education, and I also still staff about 20% of my time in our surgical trauma ICU and keep up my clinical skills there.
3: Hi everyone, my name is Megan Musselman. I completed a PGY-1 residency at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and then went on to complete emergency medicine residency at Detroit Receiving Hospital. I currently am an emergency medicine clinical pharmacist that recently transitioned from being a residency coordinator of our PGY-1 program, to starting a PGY-2 program in emergency medicine, in which I serve as a residency program director. Our program is currently in candidate status. And we have our second resident that started this July.
1: Well, it's so awesome to have you both on the podcast this time around. And so we want to really get into the meat of what the podcast is going to be about. So what do you guys think students should be looking for when searching for their best fit residency program?
3: That is a great question. There are a couple of ways to look at programs or in which I guide prospective students when I get asked this question. If the student is interested in a PGY-2 opportunity, I always tell them it's worthwhile to go to a program that has extensive preceptorship or a PGY-2 in the area you're interested in. If you are currently unsure if you want to specialize or do a PGY-2, really the sky's the limit. Find a program that piques your interest based on the pharmacy involvement or could be based on geographic location. Don't be afraid to reach out to upperclassmen that have gone through the process or even faculty members at your schools of pharmacy. Honestly, pharmacy is a small world, and they will be able to help guide you. Lastly, watch social media for program meet and greets, and talk to programs at midyear. You should be able to determine if you have a connection with the place once you talk to the people involved in the program. Feeling welcome and fitting in is an integral part of having a
1: successful year as a resident. All right, awesome. Thank you so much for that, Megan. What are your thoughts,
0: Calvin? I 100% agree with Megan. I think the most important thing for candidates to think about when searching for their programs is what is going to prepare you the best for the next step in your career journey whether that is to move into independent practice as a clinical pharmacist or pursue additional pgy2 training i think those are kind of the key things to make sure that whatever program you're selecting is going to have the opportunities that will set you up for success there everything else kind of factors in and based on your own personal decisions and preferences They're going to come in and interplay with kind of different weights, depending upon what you weight the most. So whether it's geographic location, size of the residency program, what the required and elective rotations are, the different projects and support for those projects that you'll complete with that program the mentorship opportunities. And then also another important thing to keep in mind and weigh in when considering all of those factors is what's the overall department and preceptor culture within that program? Because those are certainly important things to consider as you make a selection and where you're going to apply, interview, and potentially match.
2: Those are some really great things to consider as candidates are thinking about different programs and what might be a good fit for them. So now moving into looking at the perspective from a residency program director, which sometimes we often don't get, what qualities would you both consider to be the most important in a residency candidate, and which of these qualities speak to a resident's success in your specific programs?
0: This is a great question, and one I hear about 20 to 25 times throughout residency interview season. Because it is a very important question to know what the programs value in terms of qualities personally qualities that I find very attractive in residency candidates the most important ones to me is finding residents that are self-motivated because we do a lot of work within our program our preceptors put a lot of effort into designing their learning experiences and it's really those residents who are self-motivated and are willing to take things a step further than the framework that we give them that really gain the most from those experiences and develop to their fullest potential so i find that very important and as well as having good organization and time management skills absolutely critical and being able to balance all the different project, patient care, presentation, responsibilities and priorities throughout the year.
2: And Megan, did you have anything else to add? I completely
3: agree with what Calvin said. He hit most of the things. I would just add on that, you know, honestly, this has changed. If you would have asked me 10 years ago, my answer would have been different. And this has changed throughout the years as I grow too as a pharmacist and a mentor. Um, the main qualities I look for are emotional intelligence and integrity. If I have a candidate that's in front of me that's willing to be vulnerable or in a situation state I don't know, and they wanna put in the work to gain that knowledge, that hands down is the most important thing for me and that potential for growth is limitless with this mindset.
1: Awesome, I think those are really great insights to knowing those qualities right and maybe those are things that students can start working on or think about how they're invoking that in their regular practice and their day to day actions, and so now that we know about what qualities you all are looking for. Now we want to know what are your expectations when a student approaches your residency program booth at ashp mid year clinical meeting, so we know this year is going to be in person, which is much different than what we've experienced the last two years, do you guys have any major do's or don'ts megan what do you think.
3: I am so excited to be in person again. I do miss that personal connection. Some things I have as an expectation is for the student or prospective candidate to at least have some baseline knowledge of the program. It really allows you to start to foster getting to know them past the basics. It's really hard to get past the basics if the student doesn't know the foundation. It allows for a much more in-depth two-way conversation. It really allows us to get to know a candidate better, as well as a candidate to get to know more about the culture of our program.
1: Kevin, what do
0: you think? I definitely agree with Megan. I think it's important to have good baseline knowledge going in when you talk to a program and to do your homework and, and be prepared. There's also, but I also guess don't want to discourage candidates from approaching a booth if they're passing a booth and see a program they were previously unfamiliar with, see how great the residents are interacting with candidates if they want more information about the program, but don't be afraid to go up and but just be upfront with the representatives and and let them know, hey, I'm not familiar with your program. I haven't looked into it. Is there anything that you can provide me in terms of materials that I can review? And open the door of the conversation that way. And then the representatives might provide you with a brief summary or overview that you can ask additional questions off of. A few other things in terms of expectations is I really expect students to be open, engaging with questions, being curious, but one of the main things to start with is a quick introduction so if you come up to me and say hi my name's calvin ice and stop there i don't know exactly how to react because if i'm in a a multi-program booth i don't know are you calvin ice a a p3 a p4 somebody looking at one of our pgy2 programs so have a quick introduction prepared in your mind about how you're going to introduce yourself to a program representative and then be able to launch into a question or two after you've got your introduction in some things to definitely keep in mind in terms of making sure you do it is being conversational and asking questions throughout rather than just falling to the background things to avoid doing i would say don't be too pushy don't box anybody out from talking to program representatives that can be a little bit concerning. And don't take up too much one-on-one time with program representatives. If you realize there are other students or candidates coming by to ask questions, be willing to step aside and let other people ask questions, maybe still hang around and listen to those responses as well, but be willing to alternate with people. And uh, the other big don't for me is don't ask simple questions that can be found on the ASHP directory or on the program's materials. You don't need to ask me how many residents we have or what our salary is or what our service commitment is, because all that information is pretty readily available online. Now, if you get programs that some of that information is unclear or maybe it's conflicting between directory and program materials, certainly ask targeted clarifying questions, but don't just ask the generic what do your residents get paid or how many residents do you have at your site because most of those can be found pretty easily.
2: Awesome, thank you. That gives such a great perspective from the residency program director point of view as far as what the expectations are and some good tips there as well. So, a great component of great residency program is to have some commitment to resident well-being. How can an applicant best gauge a program's commitment to resident well-being?
0: So this is a great question and one that I think is very important for all of our residency candidates to consider as they're talking to different programs. And I guess the caveat with this is it's a great question to ask verbally, whether it's via live showcase, virtual showcase, virtual networking, or, or during interviews. It can be a little bit hard to answer this question over email just because there are a lot of different opportunities that might be available in different programs and it can be hard to succinctly summarize those. So I think you're going to get your best response if you ask this of programs when you've got somebody that you're talking to about it. And I think that you can kind of tailor your questions based on the type of program representative you're talking to. So if you're talking to the program director, ask about the structures and processes that are in place to support resident well-being. If you're talking to the resident, ask them how they feel supported and how their well-being is, and they'll probably be able to give you some responses there. And if you're talking to a preceptor, you can get some real life examples from them about how they engage with residents and well-being when setting up their learning experiences. Those are kind of direct ways to ask. You can also ask indirect questions about well-being in terms of asking about mentorship opportunities, how have RPDs or preceptors dealt with struggling residents in the past and help them through it and um, get to kind of the information that way as well.
2: Great. And Megan, what are your thoughts?
3: So, Calvin did a great job answering that question. I just really would want to emphasize that the best way for a candidate to truly determine the focus the program has put on resident well being is to ask the current residents. They are the current product of the program and they can fully articulate how they feel they're being supported and how the program is meeting their needs to foster well being and work life integration. I have noticed in the last couple of years that residents are actually better at work-life integration sometimes and helping us recognize that we need to have better tools to implement this so they are the best resources for a prospective candidate to reach out to to get these answers.
1: That's awesome guys thank you so much for your honesty and like your thoughts about wellness and well-being within your programs and and how students can really kind of get to those answers that they need to find. So now we're going to pivot a little bit because Calvin earlier you talked about making sure to have that elevator pitch when you're live and in person at the showcase right, but what about the letter of intent, and I remember this being. Not an issue for me when I was applying to residency but it's a point of concern and worry, so how can students best represent themselves in the letter of intent, what are your thoughts megan. I love the letter
3: of intent on the opposite side, being the RPD. Now, as somebody who was a prospective candidate back in the day, I'm not going to say it was my favorite part of the process, so I share those sentiments with you as well. What I look for when I read a letter of intent as I'm going through packets is I really want the candidate to ask themselves why they want to complete a residency at that potential institution. A fair amount of letters that we get when going through packets can either be just regurgitation of what the program is, like it's a level two trauma center that has primary stroke center, and it really doesn't show why that candidate has that passion or feels that this is the career path they want to take. It is a year-long commitment that you're willing to take to further on your career. So I think this really should be the moment that the candidate should not be afraid to highlight why they believe this is a path that is vital for them to become the pharmacist they want to be.
1: Awesome, thank you for that. Calvin, is there any other tips that you can provide for students to best represent themselves in that letter of intent?
0: Yeah, I think Megan did a great job hitting the highlights. I actually wrote a pearl on this when I was back involved with the New Practitioners Forum several years ago. So My full thoughts on this are published on the ASHP website, if anybody wants to check out that letter of intent writing Pearl. But a couple points I'll emphasize from that is it's very important to clearly state your career goals for those programs to know whether they can support you in what you're interested in doing. The other thing to me that's really important is really demonstrating your specific interest in that program. So avoid vague examples. So to Megan's point, you say, oh, you're a level two trauma center, so I'd like to do residency here. Or you have a, a variety of critical care rotations and offer a teaching certificate that's somewhat vague versus if I stated as. You're a level one trauma center. I have experience in the medical ICU. I am really looking to gain experience in surgical trauma, neuro ICU, and you are located across the street from Ferris State University, College of Pharmacy, and offer a specific teaching certificate program where I can engage and, and develop my skills through all of those opportunities. It's a lot more specific than A copy and paste letter that goes out to multiple programs that all might be level one or level two trauma centers and offer a variety of critical care rotations and a teaching certificate
2: wonderful thank you both so along with that letter of intent in the application packet we also have the letters of recommendation so what do program directors look for mostly in the letter of recommendation what stands out in a good way or a bad way within the letter and what are some considerations that students should have when selecting who's going to write their letters of recommendation
0: this is a, also a great question for the candidates to consider. And I think it really should be an area of focus for those candidates because depending on how different programs evaluate and weight these in the application process, they can be pretty vital to application scores. In general, I think that having clinical preceptors write letters of recommendation or those the reference forms and forecasts, that's great. However, it can be a little bit concerning if all three or four of your recommendations come from APPE clinical preceptors that have only known you for four to six week increments because you've got nobody then that is reflecting longitudinally on your development and so that can be a little bit hard for programs to sort through and figure out are you a good longer term team member in addition to being a good single rotation student so keep that in mind if you can find longer term mentors or preceptors that can provide support for you i personally generally recommend having an employer of some sort write a letter of recommendation because that can speak to how you function as a team member or an employee which is a lot of times is a different set of expectations than when you're an APPE student and um, I guess the caveat there is you want to make sure that if you're selecting an employer that they're familiar with residency so if you only have Outpatient experience, and your employer doesn't have residency familiarity or know how to fill out these forms or really speak to all your skills as an employee, they might not be the, the best one to write a letter for you there. And other things, I guess, that stand out that can reflect poorly is if your reference writers really have brief or no comments on their reference. And so how you might want to get around that is providing some information to your reference writers summarizing some of your skills, make sure you're noting for your reference writers what your primary strengths and areas for improvement are because they might have their own. That they've thought of, but you can also give them some of that information that they can draw from as well and potentially evaluate as part of their reference writing process.
2: Thank you for that perspective. Megan what about you, how do you feel about letter of recommendation. I agree with everything that
3: Calvin said and he had really good points. I would just like to further emphasize that I always think it's important when the student asks a person to write them a letter of recommendation that they ensure it's a positive letter of recommendation. Every year, and I've read these for multiple years, I'm shocked with some of the letters that come through that that conversation was apparent that never happened because they're not always favorable. So you want to ensure that the student is advocating for themselves when they're asking for their letter of recommendations and ensuring that that letter writer can write something that is supportive or at the very minimum can describe the skill set that prospective programs are looking for. Other things that I think are good for students to consider is always set your letter writers up for success. Simple things, as Calvin already said, is like tell them your career goals, what you're wanting to do, highlight things that you have done, help them with that progression give them your CV, so on and so forth. One of the things that I had happen with me during training that I really enjoyed and as something that you can reach out to your letter writers and ask them if they want to consider is that one of my letter writers asked to interview me before they wrote my letter. And I sat down and spent time with him and they asked me questions and it was twofold for me. He was mentoring me at the time. He was helping me for the potential of when I may get an interview for a residency, but he also was finding out my words of why I wanted to do something and he wrote a very good letter. So those are just some things to consider is that it's not always as simple as saying, will you write a letter for me? There may need to be some work on your end to help that letter writer be successful for you.
1: Awesome. Thank you both for your insights on letters of recommendation. And so along those same lines, and this is post mid-year, right, at this point, we wanted to. Also get your insight on how you think virtual interviews may have impacted students ability to determine their best fit residency and being that we're in a world that's kind of. Living on the precipice of both we are virtual, but I guess everybody's trying to move back into in person, but some people may employ those virtual options still how might it have impacted your ability to find the best fit for your program so both. How does this impact the student? How does this impact your view as a residency program director?
3: So I can see both sides of it. Virtual interviews were nice for the cost perspective for candidates, but for students they didn't have to, if they were wanting to see programs outside, they didn't have to spend a lot of money because it can be expensive to travel, all that's associated with it. But maybe you guys might call me old school, but I am not a fan of virtual interviews. I don't feel they're ideal. I feel like since we are, two years of doing virtual interviews at our site, I feel like there's just a portion that's missing um, where they can't see how the people on site interact with one each other, or interact with other disciplines. You're missing that culture and ability to see if you would fit and thrive in that environment. So I feel like the on site is still important to have, not only for the program, but also for the student. I mean, at the end of the day, we truly want the resident to succeed and I think seeing your environment and what environment you're going to practice in is very important.
1: Calvin, how about you?
0: Yeah, I very much agree with Megan on this as well, and I think virtual interviews when we think about them, the benefits are they're very efficient, I think, for both students and the programs, but I do think there's a key element that gets missed and that, especially for the candidates, they're not getting to really experience the culture of that program and that institution. Yes, they may meet and have discussions with different preceptors, residents throughout that virtual interview, but it's not the same as going on site and actually meeting with people face-to-face and touring around and walking through different pharmacy spaces. So I think that's one of the main cons that can be very difficult for the students to gauge where they might fit in best based on a culture. On the program side, I think it's We've had great experiences with virtual interviews and our our matched candidates, but I do think it is a little bit difficult as well to really get a full picture on the candidates if you're only meeting with them virtually for a couple hours versus having them on site for a half day or full day. Because if we're physically going on a tour and somebody is glued to my hip, constantly asking me questions and not giving other candidates time to ask questions that looks a lot different if we have an on-site interview versus all they had is one-on-one interactions with with us virtually or small group interactions with us virtually we don't get to pick up on those types of red flags that might come up
2: so those are some great perspectives about virtual interviews and i know that we're all looking forward to having the interviews in person so that residency candidates and directors are getting that missing piece that we haven't had for the past couple of years. So now fast forwarding to after the interviews, when students are getting ready to really make that final ranking decision for their application for the match, what advice do you have for students when they're starting to gather their thoughts after all of their interviews and they're thinking about ranking the programs?
0: I would say for our students as they consider this is to only rank programs where you think you'll be happy, programs where you think you're going to have a supportive environment because residency is a very tough and it's a long year. And so making sure that you're in an environment that you like and in an environment that's supportive, I think, is very critical. When actually doing the ranking, I think all candidates should really rank based on their true preference of where they want to end up. Um, We're always told the match process favors the resident selection. And so don't play any games of, well, this program has this many spots and I'm more likely to match there, so I'm going to rank them higher. Or this program seemed to like me a little bit more than this other program's so, I'm going to rank them higher. I think it's always important as a candidate to rank based on your preference. Where do you want to end up? Where do you think you're going to have the most supportive learning environment? And the match will figure out the rest rather than you trying to play the game on the front end. So
2: true. Megan, what are your thoughts? So, it's not scientific, but
3: go with your gut. And I know that seems taboo, but really, when you Find that program that you click with, you just know, and that's the programs you should go with, and don't be afraid of your instincts. Also, I just want to point out, don't be afraid of not matching and rank a program that you do not fit with. The second or second round or phase two of match really should not scare candidates or students. There are amazing programs that go into the second match, and you will find a program that you didn't even know about before that is perfect for you. I know many candidates who have had to go into phase two, many programs that have gone into phase two, and a lot of them say it was the best scenario for them. So really don't let that guide how you rank when it comes to putting in that list.
2: Those are very important things to think about as candidates are making those decisions. So that's all the time that we have today. And we want to thank Dr. Calvin Ice and Dr. Megan Musselman for joining us today and sharing their advice. Join us here at ASHP Official and the Best Fit Residency Podcast as we learn more about how prospective residency candidates can discover their best fit.
0: Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe rate or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.